Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. We'll start with a chant. Om Asatoma Sadgamaya Tamasoma Jyotir Gamaya Mrityorma Amritam Gamaya Avir Avir Maheti Rudrayate Dakshinam Mukam Te Namapahinityam Om Shanti 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 Om, lead us from the unreal to the real. Lead us from darkness to light. Lead us from death to immortality. Light us through and through ourselves, O Lord, and protect us always with your sweet, compassionate face. Om, peace, peace, peace be unto us all. Good morning, and welcome back. Thank you so much for coming. I know a lot of you have had to go through real obstacle courses to come here. Really appreciate you making the effort. So welcome back. We're so happy that you're back. We're so happy we're back. We're so happy we can be in the same place together. And obviously what we really need to realize about this is we can't take it for granted. None of this can be taken for granted. I came up with this topic, uh, You Are What You Love, it must have been some time before the mudslides. I don't know what I had in mind. I still don't know what I had in mind. <laughs> but, you know, the, the fires and the mudslides and all that kind of give us new perspective on things. So um, as I was putting it together this morning when I realized, no, you really do have to talk this morning. <laughs> you can't procrastinate anymore. It's just things that came to mind about what we've learned from this whole experience and how this ties into the truth of the Vedanta that, that we all know. So we can just kind of think about this from a deeper perspective now that everyone's kind of coming up for air and looking around and dusting off the dust and saying, okay, we're ash, actually, and uh, saying, okay, so what can we gain from this? You know, the post-fire and mudslides, nothing really seems the same again. Everything has kind of taken on a new meaning, just like the song has taken on a new meaning. We appreciate many things that we took for granted, like being able to drive here, actually go on a road and get in a car and come here. We didn't realize how hard that was until we, you know, after, of course, the mudslides, you couldn't get out. You couldn't, you couldn't come here and we couldn't get out. We realized how, what a glorious thing it is to be able to get out and get in. We didn't really appreciate the value of water. Water. People would send us notices like, be sure to boil the water. It's like, I, we would love to have water to boil. <laughs> when you turn on the tap and it goes, nothing. It's like, love to have that. And potable water, drinkable water, it seems like a, an unbelievable luxury. And then when you realize how many people around the world, this is their daily experience. They don't have water. They would love to have drinkable water. They don't have either of them. It's like, thank you. Thank you for these things that we have totally taken for granted. We took for granted things like electricity. We took for granted things like phones, phone service, internet. You can get internet up here? No. You think you can heat the house? No. How long do the things can you keep in the refrigerator? Well, 
what about the freezer a little longer? So it makes us really, you know, the things that you take for granted, like garbage and recycling. Oh, man, do we love those guys. Try going a month without them. You, know, you really realize, you know, we say in Vedanta, we are interconnected and interrelated. This really brings it home. When those guys came to turn on the gas, oh, man. Oh, man. The, the guys who, brought, who take care of our garbage, thank you. Thank you for doing this service. Thank you for doing the service that we don't want to do. And we sure appreciate you for doing it. Thank you for doing that. The people who deliver the services that we hadn't even thought about. Like, we became so fond of our flagman down the street. Any of you who tried to come up during this time realized that you could be stuck behind dump trucks. Literally, you could be stuck behind 20 dump trucks, every one of them filled to the brim with huge boulders. Boulders the size of, you know, the inner shrine. And we could wait behind them, and we could be, you can't imagine how grateful we were, because you could often have dump trucks going in both directions at the same time, up the street. And without those flagmen, you can imagine how beautiful that would have been. It really would have been a nightmare. And they're out there, they had 16-hour shifts. And they were there just cheerful, because they wanted to help. They wanted to be part of the solution. And they were. All the debris clearing in our debris basin and creek, right over there on the other side of the street, we had people working over there almost a full month. Sometimes, and most, for three weeks, it was 24 hours a day with Klieg lights going. And the din was unbelievable because it's like... (laughs) And we were so grateful. Because these people, again, were trying to be part of the solution. They work so hard to make things easier on all of us, to make it so we as a community would be safe. Not only us, but all those people downstream of us. And we realized how much of our life is completely dependent on other people. We live our lives in our little circles, and we think they don't intersect, and they intersect at every single point. And we don't realize it until something like this happens. And then all we can say is, thank you, thank you, thank you. So when I realized yesterday that, in fact, I would have to be here today, like a grown-up knowing what she was going to say, I realized that the only thing I really wanted to say for sure was thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for understanding. Thank you for coming back. Thanks to our Sunday school children our beautiful kids that we missed. Thanks to our parents who trust us with our Sunday school children, even though we over-sugar them. (laughs) Fill them full of sugar and send them back. (laughs) Thank you for caring about us. Thank you for your prayers. They meant the world to us. We had friends we didn't even know we had. We had a bunch of people in New Jersey who were checking on us. Really? They hadn't even been here. So many people from all over the world. Like my old book representative from Harper Collins from 20 years ago sent an email. Are you okay? It's like, Harper Collins, oh my God. And then you realize how much we all care about one another. It was an extraordinary situation that brought out the best in everybody. And that's what we have to remember is this extraordinary situation is kind of our daily reality, but we don't realize it. We don't realize how temporary this whole gig is until a disaster happens or until a terrible illness happens. 
And then we realize how precious we are to one another, how our lives are totally dependent on each other. And we take things for granted often until things are too late. So thank you all for being here and supporting us and caring about us and really putting in those prayers because they kept us aloft. They really did keep us aloft. Thank you for caring about our community because Santa Barbara, Montecito, Carp, really hard hit. So thanks for going out and supporting them because they're having a tough go of it. We, we, we can pull back to life, but some of these people were out of business for two months. So whatever you can do to help out their situation, stop in, avoid Amazon, give them a little help. Because we're a community. We're all in it together. And whatever we can do to help each other helps everybody. It helps us. It helps them. And thanks to our neighbors, because they called us up and said, what are you doing? We said, oh, we're, we're okay. We're fine. We're fine. And they said, go into our pantries. And we said, all right. We had a neighbor that brought to us via, he had a connection with the fire department. He brought us 43 gallons of water, 40 pounds of dog food, and toilet paper. <laughs> Continue, yes, yes, love the guy. Thank you. And he had to go through such work to do so. He was all the way down in the valley. He came up through Helen, Ohio, spent the whole day trying to get through to do this. Our neighbor across the street said, this is the, how to get my key, go into the kitchen, go into my pantry, go into my refrigerator, go into my, my freezer, and baby, we did. We broke into people's gardens. <laughs> oh, look, peas. <laughs> and they supported us, and we are so grateful. We often take our neighbors for granted until things come to a real pinch and a shove. And it's like, thank you for being there for us. And we hope we can be there for them. So how does this tie into who do we love? And we are what we love. Well, who do we love? Well, for, we really love you. We really love you. And what's wonderful about this, because these tight barriers that we have between me and you, between uh, us and them, sort of dissolve. They become porous because it doesn't become me. It becomes we. We're all in it together. It doesn't become us and them. It becomes just a big us. And what we have to realize is that we always have to keep expanding that us to make it more broad, to make it universal, to expand this infinite divinity that we share with all beings. So to break down these barriers that we artificially construct from our own egos, from our own sense of who we are and what other people we think they are, that's, that's our task in this life because there's nothing but unity and divinity among us. That's it. One of our evacuees who stayed in our guest house, she and her partner uh, lived down the street, and they're right against the creek. So we said, you know, just in case, just in case there's a problem, just come over and spend the night, January 9th, the night. So they said, oh, no, we'll be fine. It's like, no, no, please just come out and spend the night. And Jim Witherall, who was an expert, took the, the woman aside and put her up against the wall and said, if you stay there, you're going to die. <laughs> And that kind of scared the bejesus out of her. So without telling her partner, they came up and stayed in the guest house. And of course, we said, it's just tonight. Don't sweat. We won't worry. It's like, ended up being more like three and a half weeks. And we could not have pulled this off without them. They were absolutely invaluable. They knew things like camping and had camp stoves. And they had solar power cell phone generators, cell phones. It's like, wow, who even knew these things existed? 
They had, they had solar lights. It's like the miracle. It was like all it worked for the best for everybody. And what she said that was so lovely was that she said, you know, this has brought me into a deeper sense of unity with the community. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, we were in a disaster area and we all have this kind of shared experience of what, what we all went through. She said, yes, but it's more than that. It's this, she said, I can't put it into words. No one can. Even the sages, the Upanishads couldn't. But this deep sense of profound unity. And she said, I really feel that with us all. And I said, right, that is the truth of the situation, but we have to expand it. We have to expand that feeling of unity, not only with those in our little disaster community, but those outside of it, to people that might be on the different side of a political spectrum that we are. The people that we just tend to mark off our list as being uh, on the wrong side of history or ignorant or people we don't even want to know because we think they're so profoundly different from us. We have to expand that unity to them otherwise as, as well because otherwise we're choosing to live in ignorance and that's no way to be happy. The only way to find joy is by seeking and reaching that unity that defines us. This is what we are as, as embodied beings. We all share that divinity. And when we can tap into that and remember that, we can go through anything together. We can go through anything. What do we love? Who do we love? We love each other. And why? Because we're recognizing that unity that we all share with everybody. So we need to expand it. You know, you are what you love. And disasters have a really quick way of giving us clarity on that. Man, boom. We realize really fast what is and what is not important. And you know what's not important? Things. Things are really not important. When it comes down to it, we know they're going to go away anyway. We hang on to them. We often define ourselves by them. It's like, I'm the guy who has the Prius. <laughs> I'm the guy who has, you know, the, 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 the cool sports car. Or I'm the person who has this beautiful house. And we all know in our rational mind it's going to go away. We all know it's going to slip away, but we pretend that it's permanent. We go this through the charade every day of permanency, and it's a charade. We go through it by day to day, thinking that things don't change, even though our rational mind says, yeah, I know things change, I know things change, I know things will pass away. But we choose to put a bag over our heads and say it's permanent. And disasters have a fantastic way of putting you on alert. It's like, oh, yeah. It really isn't permanent. It can change, and it does. In one split second, our world can be turned upside down. And those things that you never thought would happen, who would think in our beautiful little bubble of Montecito that we'd have red cross trucks giving us water? Who would think that we could be at the mercy of the simplest of all things, weather? Who would think that an inch of rain could make the difference between life and death? We had four inches in an overnight. We had 10 inches in one day. Last year didn't make any difference. This year, an inch of rain could mean a huge difference in a person being able to survive or not. All these things that we never think of, and all of a sudden, it become, this clarity comes, woo. So what we are not are our things. What do we love? We love each other. What don't we love? Things that aren't going to help us when these things happen. 
because they are not going to give us any sustenance. They're not going to nurture our souls. They're not going to be there for us when we feel afraid, when we feel like we don't have any resources. They are not going to be here for us. So we all know it's temporary, but we pretend it's not. And it's shocking because we can't adjust. We're so used to having our own vision of what it should be that when we see what it actually is, we can't put our minds around it. We look at it and we go, no, 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 no. It's, it's When I drive down Ladera and turn left, I should not be seeing a Prius stuck in an oak tree. But if I do, that is exactly what I'll see with a big orange X over the front of it. When I go down Ladera and turn left, and I can't go very far because the bridge is knocked down, I'll also see a boat in a tree. Does not compute, does not compute, does not compute. And so our version of what our reality is supposed to be, because that's what's comfortable for us, doesn't adjust to what we're actually seeing. Because we refuse to see because we don't want to see. We like our comfort. We like our version of this will last forever. It never does. It never does. And when we remember it doesn't, then we realize how precious all this, this is. Then we take more care of each other. Then we're much more aware of how brief life is and how much we have to use this blessed opportunity now. Because we might not have a chance later. We never know when, when the cord is going to be cut. We never know that. So what's also interesting is that the people that we often didn't have time for, it's like, oh, this person's great, but you know, I don't have time, i got to do this, i got to do that. All of a sudden, conversations in this general vicinity consisted of, are you okay? Are you okay? No, are you, are you really okay? And you could talk for hours on that very topic, and all of a sudden you had all the time in the world. And then what you really wanted to know is, what about that person? Are they okay? The people that we thought were sort of peripheral in our life, all of a sudden they become very clear into focus. And you think of all those beautiful qualities. Oh, I won't be able to see her anymore. That wonderful woman at the Y with a bright lipstick and the white blonde hair is like, hi. Didn't make it. And then you realize how precious all these embodied beings are and how precious our own life is and how, how we have these opportunities to make use of them that we often let slip through our fingers because we are too busy. What a joke. When all of your services are taken away when you can't drive down the street or if you're stuck in mud for how many hours, you realize how much time you have. And time can be our greatest friend or our greatest enemy. It depends on how we choose to use it. We drove by our friend's house. We lived with her for many years. She was a former nun. We drove by her house. It was like beautiful, beautiful garden, a beautiful home, and a beautiful garden next to her. And it's now in the middle of a floodplain. The house is uninhabitable. She's lucky to be alive. She was evacuated by helicopter after being like six hours. Blessed woman. Can't remember anything, which is a great way our psyche protects us. But you realize that, um, that we live in a state of denial. And she said this whole thing has changed her entire perspective on everything. Of course it would have to. And she said, you know what? You have to give a talk tomorrow. She said, so I would talk on nothing but, but don't lay up your treasures where moth doth corrupt. It's like, yeah, because she realized it very viscerally. That all those things we spend so much time tending to and worrying about 
gone like that. You know, it was interesting just kind of going through our list on checking on everybody, making sure they were okay. Talking to our friends, being so worried about them. Talking to one of our closest friends here and having her say, I realized that today could be the day I die, when all the mud came right underneath her. And that really changes your outlook on life. And you can have many hours of conversation of, are you okay? Are you still okay? Because that becomes the real question that really matters to us. Are you okay? Because you matter to me. Your well-being is my well-being, which is what we teach in Vedanta. There's only unity. Our well-being is dependent upon the happiness and the joy and the well-being of others. And unless they are okay, we cannot be okay. Because there's nothing but one infinite divine reality. So what we realize that this veneer of civilization that we have can be stripped away in just a few moments with just a little fire going through, a little rain coming down, a little boulders becoming unmoored, some mud coming down, and then we realize how thin the veneer of civilization is and that what we counted on was not the water, not the electricity, not the gas, not the internet, not the garbage, not the recycling, not any of that. We counted upon each other. And that was the only thing we could count on, was each other. And how precious that bond was. That we were dependent not only in a very simple physical way, but also in a deeply spiritual way by the, your prayers and your kindness and your support and your understanding. Kept us kept us afloat through this whole thing, just as our prayers do so for anyone that we love and care about, the people that we want to nurture, that we actually can't physically get to. Our prayers will buoy them along. That will be a lifesaver. They won't know how they are finding that strength, but our prayers are like a raft that's keeping them afloat. Never think that your prayers go for nothing. They mean the world. They've kept us afloat. So this you are what you love. You remember in the 60s when the macrobiotic diet came out and it's like, you are what you eat. It's like, no, and before that in the 40s it was, you are what you eat. And in the 20s it was, every kind of, it kind of goes around. And it basically is saying, well, okay, how do we define ourselves? So in that whole thing with you are, and now we have the thing of eating clean because you are what you eat. It's like, you know, it's good to to be aware of our nutrition. It's good to eat well. It's good to take care of ourselves. Our body is the temple of God. We have to take care of our body. But it can't occupy, it can't be our job. It can't be our focus of our life. It can't be our preoccupation. We can't define ourselves. No, I am sorry, I'm not kale, I'm not quinoa. I am not even chocolate, which gets closer, but none of this am I. I am not the body. I inhabit a body, but I'm not that which will change, which will perish, which will pass away at a minute's notice. This is at the mercy of mud and boulders and disease and old age. I will not define myself by that, because that which is perishable and transient will never give me permanent joy. I inhabit this body and I take care of it as best as I can, but it's not what we eat, because our youth, our beauty, our intelligence, our learning, our reputation, everything is going to pass away. Either earlier or later, 
but it will eventually pass away. So no matter how tightly we hold on, no matter how we dye our hair, no matter how much Botox we get, no matter how many facelifts or anything that we do, all the intelligence tests we take to keep Alzheimer's or whatever we fear at bay, it will take its effect. Time has its effect. The body will change and it will decay and eventually it will go. So we cannot cling to it and define ourselves by it because we give ourselves misery when we do that. We can't cling to it. Just as a mudslide can take away our car or our house or our belongings, we can't delude ourselves into thinking that any of it is permanent. It's not. None of it is permanent. That's why we always have to remember who we are and what we are. We are the infinite divine reality, and that alone is permanent, and that alone will give us joy. That alone can be our real identity, because that alone will be that which we can cling to when we find that life shifts, and we're finding it very difficult to get up and down that trampoline. Life shifts before we know it, and the sooner we realize it, the better. So this disaster that we've been through has been a really good wake-up call. It's like, wow, it happens in a minute. So there's a Russian proverb that says, going on this, okay, if we're not what we eat, the Russian proverb says, tell me who your friends are, and I'll tell you who you are. Well, that's really thought-provoking, because we have to really ask ourselves, who are the people that we choose to hang out with? I'm not talking about people we're forced to be around, like our landlords or our bosses or annoying co-workers who were like human mosquitoes or something. <clears throat> but the people that we go out of our way to be with, or the people that go out of their way to be with us. What are their characters like? What do we feel like around them? There's a Japanese proverb that says, if you don't know the character of a man, look at who his friends are, because that will show you what birds of a feather flock together, right? So who is being drawn into that flock together? If we want to know about what we are attracting, we have to look at the people that we surround ourselves with. Are we surrounding ourselves with people that will bring our minds to a higher level? Are we surrounding ourselves with people who are generous, who are compassionate, who are thoughtful and unselfish? When we are with them, do we feel like this person is bringing me up? Do they remind me to act in a better way? Do they, as good friends, remind us when we're going off in the wrong place? Do they help us when we're going off wrong? Are they just there to support us when we are doing the right thing and other people might be going away? Saying, what you're doing doesn't work out for me. Are our real friends the one who will support us when we are doing the right thing, when we are being ethical? Those are the people we have to hang on to. And if we find we're surrounding ourselves with people that bring our minds down, that bring our minds to a lower level, that encourage those parts of us we don't even like, then we have to ask ourselves why we're allowing ourselves to be with them. Why am I encouraging myself to act in ways that I don't like? That I find when I'm with these people, I don't even like what I'm doing. I don't like what's coming out of my mouth. I don't like the kind of things we're talking about. It brings me down. So that's an important thing because we all assume the characteristics of those we hang out with one way or the other. We'll start talking like them. We'll start acting like them. Even if we don't even want to, we might even assume they start using bad grammar. We'll use the same thing. They'll use an expression. We'll pick it up too. And then we don't, I don't even like saying that. 
then so we have to watch out. We have to really be aware of where we're spending our time and why. Why are we doing that? Why are we encouraging behavior that we don't condone? Or we say we don't condone them. We have asked ourselves, am I really condoning this? Am I blaming it on that person? But in fact, I'm encouraging it myself. We need to ask ourselves these questions because as we know, life is short. And what can we do to make our lives more happy and joyful? What can we do that we can contribute to the world rather than taking away from the world? So we have to really ask ourselves that because there is a strong characteristic between what we love and who we are. If we love certain people, it should be because that makes us great or ennobles us and makes us better than what we would be just by ourselves. You know, the power of association is so powerful, and that's why in the Hindu tradition there's such stress put on the power of holy company, the power of like-minded spiritual company, people that will support us in our spiritual striving, people that won't say, ah, oh, come on, you don't want to, you don't want to read that book. That isn't interesting. Read this book. You want to, you want to have somebody that'll bring your mind up because we have to surround ourselves with people we admire, people we look up to, so that we go up. Because the natural tendency of the mind is to be lazy. We all know that. We all know it's hard to do things that we find difficult. And the mind in and of itself will naturally go downhill. It will take the path of least resistance. We all know that you're not different from me. We're all in the same boat together. It's easier to be lazy and have things go down rather than being a salmon going upstream. So we need to support ourselves with people who actually make it easier. They kind of bring us up. There's some people in this world, that you're with them, you just feel happier. You feel like your mind is going up because their character is such that it's like, there's, it's like they've got helium and it's moving everybody up with them. We need to be around people like that because our friends will affect so much with us that we're, they will just color our minds in ways we might not even like. So we have to be with people who make us more joyful, more positive, more constructive, more willing to overlook the faults of others rather than those who are nitpicky and fault-finding. Around the people who will encourage us to be our better selves, not our worst selves. You know, during all these disasters, we were so inspired, all of us, by the stories that we kept reading and hearing about of heroism, real heroism, acts of, of selfishness, unkindness. The guy who, who barely made it out of his house, he said, I don't know why I did this, but I, I, I heard this noise and I put on my big rubber boots. He said, I never put on my boots. He said, I just felt compelled to put on my boots. I looked out. I saw the mud was, he said, we went up to the ceiling. They went to the roof. Helicopter came, got his wife out. And he said, no, I'm staying. And he went out and he started digging around. What inspires someone to say, I'm not going to save my own life. I'm going to spend my time trying to save others. We had a couple of young firemen that came through the day after the January 9th. Fresh-faced young guys. It must probably been two or three days later. And they, probably in their mid-20s, late-20s, they had run into some harrowing things. You could see it written on their faces. They'd seen things that, you know, no one should have to. And I said, I said to one of the kids, I said, I don't know how you do that. And he said, you know how I do that? He said, because yesterday we saved 27 people. 
These guys put their life on the line, falling into swimming pools covered with mud. They didn't know they were going to a swimming pool. All of a sudden, they've got 100 pounds of equipment on their back, and they're down on the bottom of a 10-foot pool. And they do it happily, cheerfully, day after day. Helicopters flying day and night, constantly overhead, looking for survivors like, we're okay. These acts of generosity, just amazing. People who are taking in people they didn't know. They weren't worried about their safety. What can I do to help? Like down in the village, people giving away free coffee, people giving away free groceries, giving free food away. This compelling need to share. Why are we so moved by that? Because we have it within us as well. We are ennobled by that. Why? Because these acts of generosity, of kindness, of heroism show that we are all capable of getting away that ego that says, me first, my safety, my body, my things, my profit margin, and saying, all I want to do is to serve. By serving, I assert the oneness of us all. By giving you a cup of coffee and a free pastry, by giving you a sandwich, by giving you my car so you can go out and help people, I am allowing that best part of myself to rise higher. I'm letting go of that ego. I'm giving up that border that says, me first and you later. And that makes us all better human beings. It brings us closer to the truth of the oneness of our existence. Swami Vivekananda said, the real Vedantist, the person who really believes in Vedanta, is the one who must sympathize with all must have love and sympathy for everybody. He said, the more we grow in virtue and holiness and love, the more we see outside nothing but love and virtue and holiness. He said, because only what we have inside can we see outside. So the more that we grow in our own spirituality, in our own love and understanding, the more we'll see it everywhere we look. But with these wonderful acts of unselfishness, of generosity, of kindness, and outright heroism are the signs of real spirituality. It's not the people sitting and meditating. Don't think that sitting on a pad is going to make us any greater. It's when unselfishness takes over. It's when unselfishness rises to the top like cream. And then that becomes the driving force of us. And when that can take us and move our community together, that's when we have progress. That's when we have real love. That's, that's what we're all striving for. That is what's going to give us real joy. It's not partying. It's not the clothes. It's not the house. It's not the things. It's when we have our ignorance removed by our own unselfishness, that the divine can shine in our hearts and we have real joy, real joy that nothing can take away from us. When we love, we're reaching for the real truth of the universe, which is unity. Unity is the truth of the universe. There's a wonderful passage from the Brihadranyaka Upanishad because none of us are happier than when we're in love. When we're in love, we feel the greatest happiness because that's when the ego really lets go. That barrier between me and you becomes completely dissolved and there's only us. So the sage Yagyavalkya and his beloved wife, Maitre, they're together and he's saying, you know, Maitre, I've loved you my whole life. And now the time has come 
for me to go off into the forest. I'm going to spend my, my last days in meditation and contemplation of the divine. And then she asked him some questions. And, and he said, I've always loved you so much, and now I love you even more. Because she was asking him, not like, oh my God, what's going to take care of me? But these great questions about the meaning of life. And so in talking about love, he said, the husband doesn't love the wife for the sake of the wife, but for the sake of the self, but for the sake of the divine within the wife. The wife loves the husband, not for the sake of the husband, but for the sake of the divinity within the husband. The parents love the child, not for the sake of the child, but because of the divinity within the parent. And on and on this whole laundry list of things that this Upanishad gives us of things we love, whether it being our dwelling or our, or our workplace or these things that we use that we attach ourselves to. It's like we attach ourselves to these things. What is it that love constitutes? We are saying nothing but the divine. We are responding to the divinity in me is responding to the divinity in you. And when we have love, it's this wonderful unity that we're responding to. So again, these acts of generosity and kindness are nothing but love. And that is what brings us the greatest joy, is that assertion of the unity and the oneness and the well-being of all. And so the question is, okay, well, that sounds great, but how do we get there? Mm, I love this, but, you know, things go down to normal, life goes back to normal. So how do we, how do we keep this up? Well, in the Hindu tradition, we have the idea of meditation. And that sounds completely separate from what I'm talking about, doesn't it? But it's not. It's really not. Because, okay, I went from my wisdom to the LA Times. And what should I find two days ago? But an article on our monastery in Tribuco Canyon, the Ramakrishna Monastery in Tribuco. I was like, what? So... They interviewed our abbot, a young guy by the name of Swami Dhyana Yogananda, who is our young Swami from Argentina. And he is now the abbot of our monastery in Tribuco. And they were interviewing him. And so they asked him about meditation. And he had the best answer. And he said, you become what you meditate upon. If you are going to meditate on something, it should be on that with the highest meaning. Usually our idea of God then you become the highest. You see, in the Hindu tradition, we have this idea of the Ishta, our chosen ideal of God. However we think of the divine, whether it be of an impersonal form like this, an infinite divine expanse, or a beautiful luminous light within our hearts that is unquenchable and unshakable and unmoving, or a personal form of God that embodies the ideals that we hold the highest, whether it be Jesus, or Buddha, or Ramakrishna, or some aspect of the Divine Mother, Ramakrishna, Sarada Devi, Durga, Kali, Shiva, Krishna, it doesn't matter. But that being, that ideal of the Divine, which we think for us, manifests our own ideals of the highest embodiment of what the Divine can be, that becomes what we meditate upon. Because whatever we meditate upon, we absorb those qualities. What you think, so you become. So if we want to think about something very intently, the easiest way to do is to simply to love it, to think about it intently. There's an old Indian proverb of the cockroach who turns into a brahmara. Now, a brahmara is sort of this nasty little worm that devours things. 
And so the Indian belief is that the cockroach being afraid of the Brahma is so absorbed in his contemplation of this Brahmara that he actually turns into a Brahmara. In other words, it's like, okay, you don't have any fear anymore because you've become another Brahmara. So there's also another story of a Hindu teacher who uh, has this really annoying disciple. And the disciple's going, teach me how to meditate later. Teach me how to meditate. Not now. Teach me. I want you to teach me how to meditate. Tell me right now. I don't know how to meditate. You teach me how to meditate now. It's like, okay, go over there. See that buffalo? Go meditate on that buffalo. He was kidding, of course. He just wanted a kid out of his hair. So, but this kid takes it very seriously. He goes off for five, ten years. Comes back. He said, I'm here to see you. <laughs> Teacher says, come in. He said, I can't. My horns won't go through the door. Which is, as you think, so you become. Whatever one contemplates, we become. Ramakrishna, when he was doing all of his spiritual austerities, he did the austerity of thinking upon God, he being the servant of God. And the idea of the perfect servant of God in the Hindu tradition is Hanuman, the monkey, who was so devoted to Rama. And he was the perfect servant. So Ramakrishna did nothing for six months but to think of Hanuman, imitate Hanuman. He ate bananas with their skins on. He was up in the trees. Well, he actually grew a bit of a tail. His, his tailbone expanded by three or four inches because he was so intent on Hanuman. Well, we don't have to go to that extent. But it just shows that we gravitate towards what we are drawn to. So let us be drawn to the divine. You know, they say, those songs, our love will last forever. You know, human love doesn't last forever. Get over it. It changes, as it should. The only love that does not diminish, that does not change, that will never leave us hankering for more, is the love of God, the love of the eternal, the love of the self. And that is the only thing we've ever loved. We have only loved the divine. We've only loved that deepest part of us, which is divine. And we have recognized it in others. When we recognize us, we become the best beings we can be. Thank you. Om Pur Namada Pur Namidam Pur Nat Pur Nam Udachate Pur Nasya Pur Namataya Pur Nameva Vashishate Om Shanti 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 Om Filled with Brahman are the things we see. Filled with Brahman are the things we see not. From out of Brahman flows all that is. From Brahman flows all, yet is Brahman still the same. Om peace, peace, peace be unto us all. You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Thanks for listening.